1: You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Eric Skwarzynski. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Preacher Voice podcast. I'm sitting
0: down with Sean. We're here to talk about the Agape Boarding School. Sean, can you just introduce yourself to our audience and let them know a little bit about you?
2: I'm Sean. I was a student there from 98 to 2002. Graduated, stayed on staff for a couple months, and then left it went home. Uh, since then, my life's been crazy. Things are starting to settle down now in my mid-30s finally. Well,
0: So we were talking a little bit before recording. So your experience with the IFB kind of started with Agape. You were Calvary Chapel beforehand. And so this must have been a culture shock to, <laughs> to say the least of how things were <laughs> operated. So can you tell me just a little bit about what the reasoning was that you ended up at Agape and maybe what you expected versus what that first couple of days was like showing up there?
2: Yeah. I mean, just to start off a little background, I'm ADHD. So my parents had me on no ADHD medicine. So they had me on some other stuff that they thought would work according to a psychologist. So you can only imagine what I was like, just a complete handful, you know, with the three other kids in the house too. So what ended up landing me there is obviously I I had a lot of behavioral issues, school issues. I used to actually be physically abused by my stepfather. So it got to the point where I ran away once and succeeded at staying somewhere until I got kicked out and my mom came and picked me up and I dropped out of like my freshman year of high school. And then that's when they decided, okay, we're going to send you somewhere. What do you think? And I was like, well, you know what? I probably could use it. You know, honestly, I'm everywhere and don't know what to do with my life. And my parents had always threatened me with sending me to some type of military boarding school.
0: What was your idea of what it was? Was it just that it was going to be a stricter school and that's it, just like uniforms? Or what idea did you have in your mind of the school before showing up?
2: Well, I had a kind of an idea. Well, obviously there was going to be some type of military aspect to it. So I expected that. And my stepdad was former Navy. So, you know, got kind of used to that idea of it. But I figured it would be like summer camp, like Christian summer camp, you know, with school, you know, all these different things. I mean, my mom told me about, you know, you can go horseback riding, learn automotive, paints, you know, all these different things, weld. I was like, heck yeah, I'm, I'm a big trade kind of guy. In fact, I was a certified, I'd welder for about 10 years, actually over. So I did hot rods. So I was like, cool. So this will be great for me. And I was actually really stoked about going. And then when I got there, they kind of sold the school to my parents. We did like the whole tour, all that yeah. stuff, and checked everything out. And they were like, how, Oh, yeah, how did it's really cool. About
0: the school. If they weren't in that kind of world, like did they have a friend that recommended it or, or Yeah?
2: So it? my my mom worked with this gal and her her son was there. So his name was Joey or Joe, actually, he's an old timer. And then she told him about it and they looked into it and they decided to send me there. So, I mean, that's just kind of how it fell in, but are you talking about a culture shock? right? I, yeah. It's just crazy. The verbiage, even the verbiage is completely different than just normal everyday. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so you guys took the tour, they're showing you all the stuff that you see in the promo video. You see the, you know, smiling kids and the, you know, all that stuff, the volleyball court, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so once your parents get in the car and leave, how do things switch? Luckily,
2: the guy that took me on intake is actually a very nice guy. I got pretty lucky, and I've heard horror stories of about the slammings people would get when they first get in there and stuff like that. But because I had verbally talked with them and was polite when I had gotten there and wasn't showing signs of hey you know take me home and football camp was in two weeks and I love football so I was like I really want to go so they were like okay well if you behave and all that stuff we'll let you go to football camp in two weeks and which is pretty unheard of because you go through like a boot camp and that's normally a month and I was out right. in two weeks
0: right. so it
2: made what, an exception what do you-
0: when you say a boot camp, how does that first couple of weeks differ from the remainder of the experience? Just extra strict? Or- no, it's
2: PT all day, everyday work crew, okay. all that okay. stuff. So yeah, when you first get in, they, they strip you down to your skivvies basically, and that's all you're wearing. And then they check your belt line. I mean, they go almost as far as, I mean, the one thing they don't do is what they do in jail, you know, check in areas and stuff like that. So throw you an orange shirt, which at that time, which means you were a newbie, assign you what's called a buddy. And that's a guy that you have to stay within three feet of. He tells you what to do. You have to do it. If you don't, he gives you pushups. He can rack pushups. If you get mouthy with them, he can knock you out, you know, things like that. So they they put you with somebody that stacks up comparable to your size. When they find a buddy for you, it's like, all right, well, who can take this guy? Who's a hard knocker that can knock somebody out if needed to be? If the guy's getting too lithy or wants to start a fight, can he hold his own? So they put me with somebody like
0: that. Got it. So obviously, I mean, you weren't there with a lot of crazy, you know, criminal history or, you know, the thing the things you'd expect. <laughs> that
2: was pretty naive, man.
0: Eh? <laughs> right so so what was the breakdown of like the people around you did you feel like it was a lot of kids like you that were kind of misunderstood and got sent here for whatever reason or did you feel like i'm a like a fairly good person in the midst of you know a lot of the people you would expect you would expect like former criminals or that kind of thing like what was the breakdown of the demographics i
2: mean it was pretty across the board honestly i mean people talk kids talk no matter what i mean whether there's staff there when you or not whether you're allowed to talk or not there's rumors so You quickly find out who was former gang, who was what former gang, who was there by court order, who had a GTA that the judge said, this is your punishment for a year. And who was there just because they were just a wild child. I thought I was bad. And some other kids that you know, you definitely could tell they had ADD or ADHD or some type of behavioral issues. And they were way worse, you know, and I'm like, damn. And watching what they went through, I learned from that. I learned to conform real quick.
0: So, if you didn't conform, and you know, I know you said your intake person was pretty kind comparatively to some of the stories. But what were the disciplinary measures to people who would buck the system, or you know, maybe disobeyed, you know, an authority figure or something like that at the school? Well, if
2: you flat out disobeyed authority figure and stood up and stood your ground, it wasn't uncommon to get a slamming. That's what we call the slamming. It's kind of like a restraint crossed over with I'm going to beat the crap out of you, right? Literally. And back then, when I first went there everybody watched. Everybody cheered it on. Everybody was like, oh, did you see him take that? Did you see him? You know, he slammed him through the wall. I mean, all kinds of stuff. And that was the talk for the next few days. I mean, i watched the guy try to stab uh, Burton in the stomach with a pencil Mm -hmm. and the pencil broke and Burton picked him up with one hand around his neck and slammed him on the tile floor. That Mm -hmm. was his first night there, you know, and we all watched it like, whoa, that was, that was pretty rad. You know, I mean, that's our only form of entertainment (laughs)
0: Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. When you're a, when you're a teenage boy, you have to find, you have to find that somewhere, um, I guess. But so once you got through your kind of, you know, getting adjusted, getting brought in, like what was the day-to-day life at the school like was it i mean i'm assuming very routine and regimented oh yeah tell me just about everything like from waking up to the course of your day like how that played out we'll
2: just start from like when you're new let's just say day one so day one you go through your intake all that stuff they sign you a guy and they tell you you know don't get more than three feet or anybody can tackle you you're a fair game we're gonna think you're gonna run at this point that was kind of the one things you always watched out for so let's just start from morning morning you get up at uh i want to say 6 a.m Get up, you go with your buddy, go brush your teeth. Everybody has to brush your teeth. You know, if you don't brush your teeth, the rule is you don't eat. So that's just kind of how it is. So you get up, get dressed, brush your teeth, brush your hair. I mean, back then, uniforms were kind of a little bit different. They had like school uniforms that were like Dickies with, with a regular college shirt. But if you weren't in school, you wore jeans, tennis shoes, and uh just a t-shirt, whatever color status you wear that for. Right. So like orange is brand new intake orientation. Well, there's two types of yellow shirts. So yeah, I yellow a shirt... Way.
0: I just pulled it up when we were, yeah. Yeah. To. So
2: that's uh that's kind of different than what, from when I went through, but yeah. So like in this case, your Brown shirt is your orientation, what we would call orange status. Got and that. then you would go through your yellow shirt. Now your yellow shirt, you back then you had two different things. I don't know what it is now, but you still had a buddy on yellow shirt for a while. that means okay. you're a new kid status. Right. So while you're a new kid and, and in orientation, you're not allowed to talk to anybody else that's new. Okay. Period. That's just how that works. If you get caught, you get thrown back into boot camp, basically, or you get your shoes taken from you or um, no talking, um, that kind of stuff. It, it could get even more extreme than that. So, right. but, and then you have what's called floater stats and that's a yellow shirt without a, without a uh, buddy. So, so to keep going from there, you wake up at six. When I first got there, the, the dining hall school was all in one because the school had burned down not too long before I got there, like nine months. So it was so, really just it, like a structure. This is what year? Uh, 98 was when I showed up. Or no, I'm sorry, 99. Yeah,
0: because I had seen when they came and presented, we had seen this promo video. And, you know, this was the campus layout. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, so
2: when I showed up, the swimming pool wasn't there. The metal shop wasn't there. That laundry room was the kitchen. Okay, so right here. Yeah, and the gymnasium was just a Quonset hut that was open with just (laughs) concrete. The chapel wasn't there. The dining hall was, but it was an empty structure. And so the chapel was an empty structure too. So there's two levels. So underneath the chapel, you have what was our dining room, our school, everything. And everybody was packed in there, 150 students with all the staff and their kids and all that stuff. So
0: basically like down here,
2: down there. Yeah. Yeah. And then we lived in double wide trailers that were all connected, six of them all the way across. So so you didn't didn't have any of this? No, no. I mean, they built some nice buildings like Bucky Tucker and Roloff Dorm Later that were isolated, different from where the rest of the dorms were. But we didn't have any of that. That was obviously, there was two volleyball courts down there where that is. And that used to be all sand and rock um, all the way up next to the wall there on the left. So that building right there in the back, that is the laundry room now. And that's where the kitchen was. So we used to have to walk down from the chapel or underneath the chapel all the way up, get our food and walk back that way. And then right next to it was where you would call your parents was a room that where you talk to your parents, that kind of stuff. So on the phone. So, I mean, you're up in the chapel by 630. Yeah. So that's the school there. That's the downstairs. And that's where we all used to be for everything. Chapel, set up chairs, everything. So I actually built that school (laughs) down there with all kinds of other students, stained all those pieces of wood, put everything together, all that stuff.
0: You mentioned Roloff Hall. So- Mm -hmm. So obviously this school had a big connection with Lester Roloff and the kind of correctional style, which I'm sure not being in the movement, you had no idea who that was. But I'm sure now talking with other people, you probably got a good idea of that. Yeah. Of him. So anyway, so obviously looking at the consequences, it doesn't show anything physical outside of push-ups. I mean, it doesn't show any kind of paddling restraining. Was that something that was communicated at all to your parents when they first took you in or?
2: No, I mean, I'm sure with some parents, if they ask, you know, what happens if there's just flat out, you know, listening, they would probably cross of some sort where they might have to restrain, but all their staff members are properly trained and they're all counselors. And I mean, that's a bunch of garbage.
0: What was the staff like? Were they certified in anything? Was there any kind of. There's a
2: website.
0: I think I'm pulling up the website you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, I know I said, the answer. I'm said, just said, setting you up for yeah. For no, So
2: as far as we knew, no. A lot of them had gone through Hiles Anderson. That was their training. That was their certification. I mean, accreditation to them means nothing. They believe that the government shouldn't have any type of input or say or what you can and can't do, that it's only God's will, and that's how it should be. Right. That's a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, some of these guys had previous experience. Some of them had kids, like... uh My wife's family, they had a son that went through the school and that's why they ended up showing up. So, you know, there's uh, evangelists that would come through and think these great things about these schools because they would pamper when they come through. And so they would come and work on staff for a while. And I think they really got the real gist of it, how it was. I've seen a revolving door with some people and it's usually the staff member that care, that act like they care, the ones that want to make a difference in your life that they end up leaving. It's a hush hush situation.
0: Was there a ton of turnaround with the staff? Did it change a ton while you were there? Yeah,
2: I think so. I believe so. I mean, I've watched probably four or five families, maybe more come through. Definitely single staff come and go like like nothing. You know, it's a revolving door. And that's how re- they recruit out of the, the program. You know, you could stay on staff, you know, about just a year. We'll pay you 200 bucks a month. You get, you know, five hours off every week. <laughs> you get one workout hour every day. <laughs>
0: With perks like that, who wouldn't line up for the job? I know, man.
2: I had no idea, too, either. And it's an
0: eye-opener, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, yeah. I had pulled this up recently, but it is shocking. So, like, and this is a trend in all the roll-off homes. And, you know, I've interviewed people from New Beginnings Girls Academy, Marvelous Grace Girls Academy, Hepzibah House. Like, the lack of any formal certification is always interesting to me and always shocking to me. So, when when I was looking to Agape... I think I told you this, but I actually knew someone who used to work at Agape. And so Mm -hmm. like I had gotten the presentation and like the, you know, this is awesome. This is great. This helps the people that otherwise would be in, you know, prison and, you know, that kind of stuff. So pulling this up a few months ago, I was looking through and I was like, no professional license, no professional license, no professional license, no professional license. He
2: used to be a student too. And he came back on staff after going on. As a program director.
0: Yeah how, mm-hmm. how many of the people would you say were former students?
2: There's a decent amount. I mean, if you go through the list there, um, Scott Smith. So I believe Kazak was, Jim Blake was an evangelist, a singing evangelist. I always never had a problem with him. I'm, I'm sure there's stories out there, but he's a really nice guy, honestly. Byrne, he definitely yeah. was a former. I see some of these names I don't even know. Scott Smith, definitely. Well, I guess Robert it tells
0: you how much they turn over. Yeah, so uh. there's
2: Robert Graves, who's now uh, a sheriff. And let me tell you a little while we're on his name real quick. Yeah. That guy used to tell us on how he wanted to join the military so bad just because he wanted to kill people. That was his goal in life. And now yeah. he's a, a sheriff for, you know, for them too. That's Tim Cleveland, he's a former staff. In fact, his family now works there. Andrew Lopez. David Graves was a brother to uh, him. He had his cool moments, but there was times where that dude was just messed up. Let's see, Scott Dumar. Been there since Othello, Washington. Okay. So we're talking way back in the day and that's when they got kicked out of there technically or they left because of all kinds of different stuff.
0: Well, the school started in California, no? And then went yeah, to started, Washington? I
2: believe it started in Othello and then came to Stockton, but I could be wrong. So,
0: Well, it was in, okay. it's in Stockton, California and Stockton, Missouri. Yeah. So it's kind of confusing what you're talking about. Yeah. Like,
2: yeah, I mean...
0: I mean, and then... A lot Jeff of these people... That out, oh, yeah. Story. Oh,
2: I know, right? But,
0: <laughs> yeah. He was the one... He was the first bad thing that I saw and it was just for me trying to do the abuser database for Preacher Boys was Mm -hmm. I saw him on a list of names and I was like, Agape. I was like, I had always heard good things (laughs) about Agape. And then I ended up on all these sites and digging through. It's just
2: crazy. And when you try to explain it to people, there's no real way of coming across what it was like.
0: What was your attitude like while you were there? Did you just try to fit in? Did you find yourself speaking out quite a bit? Did you find yourself, you know, just I'll play the part and do my time? How did you adjust to being there?
2: It's kind of a roller coaster, honestly. I mean, you have your times where you conform. There's times where, yeah, man, I want the, the staff to see me and recognize me. And there's times where, I just want to beat the crap out of everybody. I mean, I got in trouble too. I got sent back to the buddy status and I went from the very tops to the very bottom or not the very top, but like as a section leader down to, you know, back to buddy status and almost right. boot camp because I told somebody I was going to kill him, you know? And, and right. it was like, not even like a serious thing so that somebody was messing with me and I just wasn't in the mood for it, you yeah. like, you better knock it off. Or I'm going to kill you. And yeah. somebody else had heard me say it and wham, bam, you know? So, right, you know, right. I, I've been, on the wall i've cut my own hair got in trouble for that so i mean it's kind of goes up and down there's times where yeah i felt like i was really on fire and what they were trying to tell you the holy spirit was taking over i got up i preached behind the pulpit, preached like all them and did all that kinds of nonsense honestly and now thinking back it's there's a sense of maturity that isn't allowed to develop there and so that sense of maturity is just kind of kind of going through the motions and Kind of trying to find, figure out where you sit and where you fit with it all, never really sits right with you, and it takes a long time. I mean, I never figured out where I fit with everything until after Agape. So we all have our stories, you know.
0: How long were you there? I guess it
2: was ninety nine. It was July ninety nine to
0: October two thousand two. Wow. Okay. So about three years. Yeah, Um, Yeah,
2: I got my what what they call your eighteen year old package, and it's everybody teases everybody about it. My parents told me, do good year, year and a half max, we'll bring you home, and. I did good. Year, year and a half. I did real good. I got this big old box. I mean, big box, uh, probably three by three by three. And it had enough stuff in there to last me until I was 18 years old. That's what we call our 18-year-old package.
0: (laughs) Just moving to the, I guess, kind of the, I mean, slightly toward the end of your story, but I'm curious because this was something that interested me when we had initially talked. So you finish up your time there and we can circle back if there's anything in that time that you that we're missing or anything. But one of the things that we'd mentioned is, you know, a lot of the former students become staff and they're offered, I forget what the breakdown is, but they're offered like a very small amount of money, free room and board, and they basically get to be, they get the freedom to leave the campus. Like that's really the only thing that changes is occasionally you're able to leave and, you know, grab lunch at a restaurant or something. Yeah,
2: so it's like 200 bucks a month, basically. It's what it is, it's actually a regular check for that.
0: Is it still that?
2: I don't know what it is as of now. I mean, I know what it was when I was there. So I know that they pay family more than they pay non-family though, for sure.
0: Is that legal in Missouri to pay someone in that? So here's the the workaround. Yeah,
2: here's the workaround is uh, you're working in a full-time ministry that you donate your time to. We help you by giving you a donation back in return, but you're not an employee. You're a full-time ministry worker in the ministry.
0: And we give you a gift to help you out or say thanks. So, you, yeah, you do say it thanks. to say thanks. We do it to say thanks, kind of thing. Yeah. It's not a job. You're not getting, you're not paying, you know. So I guarantee like
2: stuff. half yeah. of those families there are on some type of food stamp aid, some type of government aid. In fact, that's why a lot of them pop out kids
0: so they can get more and more and
2: more and they get more on the tax return at the end of the year, too.
0: So, you were offered a staff position and you took it and you were staffed for about four or five months. Can you talk about the events that happened where you felt like you needed to leave and, and, just yeah. going to how that situation was handled because when you told me that, you know, I've been doing this now for a little while, it shocked me, but also, you know, unfortunately, it didn't really shock me. But the way that they handled it was very interesting to me. So, can you talk about that a little bit and, and yeah, yeah, what you found out? So, I'll give a
2: little bit of backstory. We have a, a football camp in Dwight, Illinois, every single year, and then I, I've seen now since it's changed; it's actually on grounds now. But we go all the way up to this Baptist Church up in Dwight, Illinois. Pretty cool place. A lot of priests. Do- a lot of, do you know a lot the church i'm just curious i don't but it's something i can find out and let you know later too okay. somebody had posted a picture in one of our groups and so we go to this every single year it's a week worth um we take a couple buses go up there uh, one of our big treats is we get mcdonald's on the way there and mcdonald's on the way back and i mean we don't get mcdonald's so that's like a big deal so yeah. <laughs> trip up there's fun trips back fun but i guess what had happened was uh When we came back a month later, this student went home and it was kind of like out of nowhere. You just kind of realized, hey, this guy isn't here. And the reason why you would realize is because for one, he was kind of special, you know, for sure. Mentally, I want to say he wasn't, he was there, but he wasn't intelligent enough to be considered a normal IQ level. He also had constant seizures out of nowhere. He was epileptic. So you know, as staff members, we're supposed to watch and kind of keep an eye on this guy constantly, and uh, that way, in case one happens, which it happened quite a bit. You know, every couple of months, he would have one, and we'd have to hold him and, and you know that kind of stuff. But he was gone. It was very strange. So on Sundays, we do staff meetings. It's kind of like your weekly roundup of all the staff members. They split it into groups, so some staff members can watch the students, and the staff members can sit up in the office with Jim Clemenson and whoever's running the staff meeting for that that time being. So. We go up there and have our staff meeting. We're talking, and I don't remember. I thought I knew who it was, but I guess I, I've spoken with this person since, and it wasn't them. It was somebody else. Announced that we had an issue, that and the, here's how we're dealing with it, and here's how we're not going to talk about it. Another student that was over the age of eighteen that was part of another school called Trinity, which was down the road, ran by Brian Clemenson, Jim Clemenson's son, the owner. He was able to come and go as he pleased, had a job in town there in Stockton, still attended the church. He was kind of like one of those forgotten kids that you know didn't have anywhere to go. So where was he going to go other than stay there and help out when he could and still participate? Well, I guess he had had some type of, well, he had sexual relations with them. and by statute, it's rape, you know? And so we had found out that he had coerced this kid into having sex with him. I'm a victim myself and had that kind of, hits close to home. I I was enraged. So they continue on with the story and said that instead of turning this guy into the police department or something of that manner to hold some type of accountability, they figured, well, we'll send him off to Hiles Anderson for reform. And so they sent him off to Hiles Anderson. I don't know whether they paid for it or not or anything like that. I just know that he had left his car, jumped in a bus, went to Hammond, Indiana, and was gonna attend college very soon or shortly after and that he wasn't supposed to be there anymore. And I was enraged. And so about a month later, after that, my eyes just started opening up to a lot of different things are going on. The I mean I'm a victim of verbal abuse, physical abuse and sexual abuse and starting to see and realize what these kids are going through, what I went through and what I'm being a part of. And I even called I called my family and said, hey man, I need you guys to fly me home. Cause the goal was I would stay there for a year and then ship off to the coast guard, you know, just do some time, hang out, live a year, not having really to worry about finances and school and just kind of live it out and then head off the camp. And they're like, Whoa, what's going on? You're always changing and pulsive." I'm like, no, listen. And I was on the phone with them in the dorm. And so I can't really say anything. I got other staff, got other students in front of me, you know, just out of caution for, for the victim in this point, you know, I can't go running around saying a bunch of stuff, you know, I could, I'm in the middle of of nowhere and who knows what can happen, you know, stranger things have happened. Yeah. So they were like, no, we're not, we're not shipping you home. We're not doing anything. You need to stay there. You made a commitment, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. I need to leave now. And so they wouldn't. So the next day I went up to the owner. I said, Hey, write me my check, drop me off at the bus stop. I'm done. I'm leaving. And he's like, are you sure? Have you given this some thought? I said, yeah, I thought about it last night. And I said, and honestly, I'm tired of the, the nonsense. And, and I am i don't think what had happened to that child was right. And I don't want no part of this. And so they did. They took actually Amanda's dad, helped wow. me pack up all my stuff, drove me to the yeah. bus stop. And he was pissed at me because I was one of his horse guys. I was actually, my job every day on staff was out there in the field, breaking and training horses and year, uh, yearlings and, you know, two-year-olds breaking them in the ride. I mean, they had invested quite a bit of money and brought out special trainers to train me and a couple of other students to train these horses and so when I hear I was like nope done see you guys later I'm out man I'm not doing this and so they were pissed you know literally it was uh dropped me off he bought my bus ticket gave me what was left over my $200 check and I spent three days on the way to California.
0: Wow so, did you feel like anyone else had a sense of like how odd that was that reaction or did everyone meeting, act like that was fairly normal to operate that way
2: yeah you know the higher-ups definitely for sure they acted kind of normal i mean they already knew about this already way well before we did you know i think a week maybe they were probably information already yeah yeah and so they were coached in what to say coached in this is how we're going to do it and that's this is it you know i mean when the the higher up the owner and frank burton says this is it i mean they're basically like god there and this is what happens if you don't like it you don't got a job you can leave you know and that's kind of the conformality there i know with some of the single staff there it I know a few of them definitely were pissed when they got out of that meeting, but I didn't see them do anything about it. You know what I mean? So,
0: Why do you feel that it literally takes someone who's experienced something similar to point out that it's wrong? Like, why do you think people who have no experience with this stuff are able to just hear these stories and not see them as being these glaring... Like, I mean, I don't have to tell you this. Like, it's a huge deal, but I see people who have no experience with any form of abuse... And they can sit there and like hear a story and be like, okay, you know, like that makes sense to move him away or to like, why do you think it takes someone who's experienced something to actually say something?
2: There's no direct interaction. There's no, they've never been through it. They don't know how it feels. So for them, you know, I mean, you look at today's world, you see all these different shootings, you see all this different stuff happening and most people just kind of pass it off because it's just news. You know what I mean? It's never hit them personally. It's not a personal matter. So for them, it's easier to push aside and protect what's there at all costs. I mean, we're talking about during my time being there, I mean, the states came in multiple times. I've been interviewed multiple times for abuse by the state, you know, state workers. And so, I mean, this isn't anything new. So for them, it's like, we need to keep church and state separate. And that's what they build it off of. It's like the state and the government has no need or any reason to be part of this. You know, I mean, this is ours. This is what God gave us. So that sense of entitlement, you know.
0: I want to ask you about that because that's something we talked about when we had first uh, connected is, you know, the amount of coaching that went into, you know, the version of CPS, uh, Child Protective Services that's in Missouri would come in. You mentioned like an extreme amount of coaching on answers and what was shown. Can you talk a little bit about that? And, and again, like, I'm just curious, like the mindset of like, what did they think they were doing in doing that? Do you think it came from a, they truly believe that like the world is trying to find a reason to shut them down? Do you think that they didn't want to change how they were doing things? Like what was pushing them to keep things so secret? The
2: main reason why they coach is, one, any outside type of government thing that comes in, that's going to be Satan himself trying to attack the establishment, take it down, take it down to nothing and everything. Because, I mean, they've already had that happen twice. They had it happen in Stockton, California. They had it happen in Othello, Washington, you know, operating without licenses. I mean, mean, that's a big no-no in today's standards. And back then they were just doing it just because they could, you know. I mean, that was one of the reasons why they're in Missouri. There's very little oversight, especially when it comes to corporal punishment, you know, and that's how they justify all the slammings and restraining. So when it comes to coaching, it's protect what we have at all costs. I mean, I was there when this incident happened, and in all honesty, the first one was, it was an accident. They're wrestling. He flipped them over his back, definitely got too heated. Everybody did and broke the kid's arm. Well, the parents got freaked out, pulled them out. The kid had told them a bunch of stuff. CPS came in. So what they do is they pull their trusted students. And because of that point of time, I was a new kid. I had just gotten out of boot camp, And so I had already gone to football camp. And so my new kid status of getting off of new kid status was kind of in the hang of this. So they told me, oh, they pulled me up to the office and I talked with Jim and Frank Burton and uh, Jim Clemison And they told me, said, hey, listen, so this is what you're going to say. These are the different questions that they're gonna ask. Somehow they had an idea, or maybe that they had asked them to submit the questions they're gonna ask and they told me what to say. You know, have you ever seen anything that's been abusive that you could consider abusive? Has a staff member ever heard a student that you would consider to be abusive? You know, hit, kick, punch, throw, you know, and which I had at that point for sure, you know, but none of that all that stuff I was supposed to say, no, it never happened. This place is great. You know, I have some of the best time of my life has been here so far, you know, stuff like that, you know? <laughs> uh, and you know, that obviously this social worker asks you, Hey, you know, do you want out of here? Are you okay? You know? And you have to say, yeah, I'm fine. Because at the end of the day, the social worker is not going to necessarily remove you right then and there. There's no proof.
0: you just going to make things work for after- yourself. Yeah. Right. You got to deal with
2: the after fact of all that, you yeah. know? And so, after the interview's all done, I mean it's just you and the social worker at that point of time. I I've heard stories about later how they had a staff member in there from now on. I think
0: they wised up after a few in the days. background so, going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: You want to get you wanna get that drastic elbow? <laughs> right. So afterwards they give you a paper and you're supposed to write every single thing down that you said. Everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether you conformed to what they said or not. And that from what I heard went straight to their lawyer. So it was pretty hush hush. I mean, there was no really
0: screaming for help when you're around normal people i'm just curious do you know who their lawyer was what, no not at that time uh, okay yeah, I, was, yeah, I, was I was wondering 14. if it was christian law association or anything like that or if what the connection was because i mean that's I, what every ifb organization uses so i wouldn't be surprised but right. curious what they. No, i've lawyers. heard
2: that name since then but i mean i don't know who it was at the time at the time you know i'm 14 years old you know so right just starting right. to hit some awkward stages in life and you right. say what you're told to you know you conform
0: Yeah. After leaving the school and, you know, you don't really have any support back home helping you out, like, you basically went, like you said, you're starting that awkward period of time. You're in, like, the craziest part of life to figure out, which is your teenage years, and you're in an environment that's not a typical human experience, you know, so that's affecting you you're getting the fire and brimstone preaching about you know you have to do this this and this you've got the strict rules you've got the physical discipline you've got you know then you become a staff member you're seeing people your coworkers covering up a massive you know crime at this at this camp once you sit on that bus and you have 3 hours and you're thinking and you're you're going like what's going through your mind what is what's your kind of experience moving past that part of your life
2: in one word confusing hmm absolutely confusing so you know you spend three three and a half years sitting there listening to you know the only version of the bible is the kjv you know right. you get, it's been purified seven times and i mean there's a freaking book on it you know what i mean honestly right. you know so give you a little backstory my grandfather was a, a prison preacher and a missionary to russia and different things like that okay. my grandmother still is to the philippines so yeah. I, i've been around you know christians
0: it's and not and, like you were in, you you weren't foreign to christianity when you showed up Right.
2: so right. i get there and it's like drums over the devil you know any type of music that has drums any type of christian rock you know is horrible because it comes from an, an african tribe of some sort that use these drums to beat to the devil i mean just wow nonsense out there and yeah. it, it's a brainwashing it's the breakdown brainwash and rebuild and what they want you to believe, not what you want to believe. You know, a lot of the things they used to get upset about, you'd hear about is video games. It, Activision says question everything, and that was a big thing there when that first came out. Tony Hawk and all that stuff question everything. So it was no, you know, this is horrible. You don't question everything. You listen to your elders. They will teach you what's right, and it's proven. And so far as to like, and Jeremiah it says, uncover thy thigh and show thy nakedness and cross the water. Right? I mean, so to them, shorts were were bad. Anything above the knee was horrendous but i mean we didn't wear shorts in front of women right the only time we wore shorts was in the pool you know what i mean and, and in the dormitory which whatever it's to do dude's but it's just kind of like you know, whatever and then you had like masturbation is homosexuality you know what i mean so that was a whole nother thing too so you get all these different beliefs and stuff that are, are coming into views and the do right song you know all these different preachers preaching at you how you need to live how your convictions need to be all this different satire and you leave the school now, I mean, being from a secular life and, you know, having a non-denominational church, I thought my whole family was horrible. I thought they were all going to hell because of all these different things they were doing. You know what I mean? I'm like, how could they be going to hell when they're they're missionaries? You know, they're doing yeah, all these right. good things, you know? And it's like, oh, no, they're still going to hell. This is, this is horrible, you know? So you leave the school and you go out and everything's completely different. You go out and you go to find a job. And for me, it was construction. I went and did construction. I was a pipe player for a while and uh, in San Diego, and I'm working with a bunch of different Hispanic guys. Now they're hilarious. They're dirty. I mean, dirty as in like dirty joking. I mean, they'll, they won't think twice about walking around and grabbing your ass while you're in the trench. Just, just to get a reaction out of you.
0: Right.
2: Sorry about my language, but <laughs> uh, <you're> <laughs> so it's, there's a huge confusion point at that point, you know, and I'm a musician and I love music and, So that was a big confusion. Like I wasn't even allowed to sit there and just play like all it's doodling on the piano. I could just play whatever comes to mind and it's just in the same key and it sounds good, right? It's like whatever. So for years, for years and years and years, trying to find where I fit in society with this consonant thing in the back of my head saying "You're, you're wrong, you're doing wrong. And it even came to the point where I felt like I needed to call them and give them updates and seek their approval, you know, years afterwards until I realized like I'm going back to my abuser mm. in all honesty. But so, yeah, I made a lot of really bad decisions in my twenties. You know, I had my son when I was barely 19, I was way too young and to have a kid. It was way too immature. I wasn't ready financially because of it. Her and I split up for a while and I didn't see my son for six years. You know, I was, wow. uh, I was that deadbeat dad for a while. And until later I realized what I had done and, uh, tried to make it work with his mom later in life, you know, and now he's 17, almost 17 now. This is actually his room, you know, in my office for the time he's in California visiting (laughs) his mom. So yeah, I made a lot of really bad decisions, whether it be with alcohol, financial, financial decisions. I dabbled in drugs for a bit. I did all kinds of stupid, dumb stuff, you know, and I think a lot of it was just trying to figure out, you know, what to do with my life at that point. It was very confusing.
0: So what's been the most I guess, healing thing for you, I mean, obviously you've connected with other survivors and things like that. I know that's been a trend is like community has been really helpful to people, but what else has helped you kind of put the pieces together? Cause I, I mean, it definitely seems like you're in a better place now than maybe when you first left, but you know, what's been most helpful to you, beneficial to you and kind of like think, say this is okay. Like I'm not part of that world now. Honestly,
2: my wife, the most healing part of my life wasn't until about four years ago. I was about 30 and realized what type of situation I was in and realized, you know, I'm not the only survivor out there. And I mean, her and I have been talking for 10 years plus and best friends of it for the good portion of that, you know, and realizing that I can stand up for myself. I can make my own decisions. I can... I can choose what I want in life and it's okay. You know, right. I don't need to base my belief system or convictions off of somebody else. I can make my own conscious decision to move on from that and do something with myself. Since then, I mean, in all honesty, I could not be any happier. My life is great. I mean, I've been working from home since March, I guess. Yeah. And right. I'm looking forward to staying home even longer. They're not bringing us back to work yet. So. Right. That's awesome.
0: That's <laughs> but, really cool. Uh, my wife
2: wanted to say something about before uh, yeah. he can just talk I think you he can hear you just fine yeah
3: I just wanted to say one thing about what he was talking about with the you know he couldn't figure out where he stood in society you know this was wrong that was wrong everything was wrong so then he just said effort and just didn't do anything anymore just went the complete opposite direction because they teach you unless you are doing the exact things that they tell you to do the protocol so to speak you are wrong. You are right. you are in the wrong. And all sin is the same. It all has the same consequence. Mm-hmm. Everything is just as horrible as everything else. Wearing pants is just as bad as murder. You feel like I can't do it anymore. I can't be perfect like they want me to be. So fuck it. I'm, I'm just going to go do everything wrong. then.
0: Yeah, you just explode. And that's just the
3: mentality you right. get into. It's like, well, it's an all or nothing mentality. It's not just, well... I can still be a good person, but I'm not going to have to follow everything. And so that's where it gets really confusing for everybody.
0: That's a really good way to put it because I've always been talking about like the repression eventually explodes, but there's also, I've never thought about it that way, but it's really true. Like when you're told that all sins are bad, you know, like if you do one, you might as well do them all. Then if you do one, you're like, might as well do them all. Yeah. yeah. And
2: the thing is blasphemy is as bad as being gay honestly right. being a homo or a lesbian or, or something of those manners and so that is blasphemy so and then if you continue to do these sins they say you know you're never really saved in the first place because roman says if a man is saved he has changed all his ways you know right. by your acts you will by their acts you will know them you know it'll bear fruit from the tree or the vine and you know that kind of stuff so it's just kind of like well if you do one you might as well do them all You know, so it put me in a really uncomfortable situation, too, because I had, I mean, my ex's brother was gay. So, I mean, straight out of boarding school, I had to figure out how to cope with that and what was okay, you know, and
0: not feel homo, too, at the same time. Coming out of that world, you can't even say, oh, I might disagree or this, but, like... You can't do that and then say, oh, I love them too. In that world, it has to be, I'm cutting you off. Like I'm separating from you until you fix yourself. That's the way you would treat anybody, you know? Yeah, and exactly. so, yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff's tricky. Like it, it, it is. I think you've, all the stuff that you've mentioned, like feeling like you had to call back to people who you left for a reason to say, you know, hey, everything good? I feel that pressure sometimes where I want to be like, mm-hmm. look, I'm still doing good stuff. <laughs> you know, like, is that well, another? Yeah, just,
2: yeah, and they're just kind of like, well, you know, you're still, but you don't while. go
0: to our church, or you yeah, you don't this.
2: go to this. You don't read our Bible. You don't. You're still listening to the rock music. You're still a bad person. You're right. you're out of God's will, is what they would call it. You know, yeah, and they would tell us all the time. Our success rate as students is minimal. It's mm. it's a very small percentage that continue to live the life on and that's what they consider success is okay. If you stay within the IFB movement, you continue to be a preacher, you follow your calling and different things like this. And you know, you're a missionary evangelist or whatever, you know,
0: I I was a, I mean, I was a freaking missionary after I interned for two years at a high school I started doing missions work and then it came back to me that one of the staff members at the school I grew up in had been talking to people saying like man I feel so bad for his parents he's really gotten away from God he's backsliding and I was like I got, I saw I got the message I was like I'm a missionary I could not be more sold out on the team for you know. In as well, yeah. But yeah, I, I relate with all that stuff you're saying, and I and I appreciate you you know kind of sharing that because I think it is like a, there's a lot when you're in a concentrated spot like that, especially when you're a teenager. And I would even say the college students that are coming out of these Bible colleges, like the lasting ramification of this stuff is going to mess you up. There's oh, a yeah. lot of stuff that happens just on the manipulation side that's that's crazy. Well,
2: it's like I was talking to you before. It's not even necessarily manipulation that happens a lot there for sure within the IFE movement alone, but the majority of it is brainwashing. And that's yeah. what takes this to complete another level to cult. Honestly, yeah. it takes it from a religion to cult is the brainwashing. When you get there. It's you're not allowed to talk about your past. You're not allowed to talk about what you've done, what you're going to do in the future, where you're from, things like that. I mean, that stuff is... Oh, no no i mean if you did it you start the program basically from the ground up you know so then they brainwashing it in nine chapel services a week i mean <laughs> not, yeah, yeah not even well, including like the half hour service before school even starts you know right. for devotions
0: the key point is you're being told what to think versus how to think and especially yeah, when yeah. you're developing as a teenager like that's one of the big things like i grew up in the ifb but that's one thing you know my parents Believe, I mean, they're still in an IFB church, and I'm sure they'll appreciate the shout out. But, but, you know, but like one thing I said consistently is like, my mom always said, Don't take something because someone told you. Like, always study it yourself. And so, you know, even if I came to a different position, like, you know, they would tell me very clearly what they believed. You know, they had things that they were very strong on, like, this is how it is. But I was never told by them. Everybody else around me told me this, but by them, I was never told whatever the pastor says goes or whatever, you know, it was always question, look for yourself, research for yourself and, you know, come to that conviction on your own. Having that to counterbalance, you know, my youth pastor saying whatever I say goes or whatever the pastor says goes like, if I didn't have that, I don't know how screwed up I would be, you know, now.
2: Yeah. So there's a couple of points on that. I mean, like one, I mean, men are extremely authoritative in this type of situation or in this cult, honestly, right. uh, women mean nothing. Uh, women are there for babies, cooking, cleaning, and taking care of the men. That is their job. 100%. No, and if, or buts about it. And that's horrible. Honestly. I mean, you need to talk about taking it back 30, 40, 50, 60 years, um, or even longer in some that women don't even matter. And it's very narcissistic in that, yeah. in that type of mannerism on top of it. So I think narcissists, you know, definitely thrive in this type of situation. So it's scary in that alone, but then the flip side on, based off of what you were saying is they would tell us, yeah, you need to figure it out for yourself. You need to prove it for yourself. But what would we say goes? So, I mean, I've had debates with staff there. I've, I've gone to like the, the pastor of the church and be like, hey, listen, man, this is what I found. And this doesn't make any sense to me what based off of your telling. His response would be just to yell at you. You don't get this, blah, blah, blah. This is business, wind up, get out of my face. That's how the conversation would go. Right. You know, you got to find a few, few staff members that would, you know, for sure. Just horrible narcissists. I mean, Burton's one of the biggest narcissists there for sure, right. so if he didn't like what he had to say, He'd tell you going to go into hell and get out of his face, or he'd beat the crap out of you. One of those three things was going to happen. You're a troublemaker. You're going to cause a stir, blah, blah, blah. Well, let's take this outside, you know, wow. yeah. the supposedly acclaimed Golden Glove boxer. You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: It's crazy. And I could, you know, I could talk about this forever. Like there's so much, I mean, and I've been going through the stuff that you sent me, like there's so much here out of the school. And I've talked to, I think you'll be the first when I go out, but like I've talked to so many people from the school, the stories are all the same. Like it's down to like, I mean, there's little details of like someone's experience was worse or this was someone had a little bit better, but like down to it, T, I mean, the stories are identical. The crazy
2: part about this is if like staff gets word of this and they're talking to
0: I'm sure they uh, Let's, let's sure brought this right.
2: up, right? Brought up one of the Yelp reviews, the mini Yelp reviews that they have, you know. And they'll be like, well, you know, that student, he was super troubled. And let me mm. tell you why. They'll say different things, you know, about this student. A few of them may be true few of them may not be true, but they'll sell that student, that former student, as this horrible kid that was seriously troubled. And we did our best with him. And obviously, he's not thankful for what right. we've done. And we, we, that's all we can do. But we're a reform school and, you know, we'll make it better kind of thing. You know what right. I mean? And TV, uh, a job, job of Bad Juju kind of crap.
0: Right, right, right. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. I guess we can kind of close on this, and I think there's enough here. I'd love to do another part of this at some point. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious if you were to sit down with someone who says, you know, hey, I've got a, you know, I have a teenage son who's off the rails. I don't know what to do. I'm considering a place like Agape. What would you say to them? Like, what would you say to someone who's considering utilizing a school like this? So I've
2: been in this situation twice. Once when I was younger, my mom's coworker, who I knew her very well. She's super sweet lady. I see since it's passed, but her son, you know, was going through a lot of trouble at that point in time trying to figure out where he's sitting. That's that's kind of what a lot of it is. These kids don't know where to fit yeah. in and they just kind of go with whatever's fun, you know, whatever feels good. So she had talked to me and I told her nothing but good things. And dude, I, I felt so bad after he came back, you know, because it was that year, year and a half he was there. I kind of transitioned a little bit into understanding, you know, what I was going through and how I was starting to develop and to change and figure out my place in society. And he came back and I I talked with him and Mm -hmm. talking with him and he was like, yeah, nothing's nothing's changed based off of what. I had said, you know, as far as the different views, physical abuse, mental abuse, verbal abuse, and things like that were going off. It was just uh, the physical abuse was more hush-hush in the quiet. I, I can go through all these different ways that they've changed in punishing students and what they've done. I was there for the whole, most of the evolving of it in the beginning, so towards the end there. But yeah, he said it doesn't change. These certain staff members are still horrible people. They pick on you, try to get you to do something dumb, just to you know report back to your parents that you're doing horrible and you need to stay there even longer, and right. you know things like that. I mean, that's the thing It's like if you're doing really well, they tell your parents you're doing really well. So after the kid got back, I felt you know I felt really bad because nothing had changed everything was the same for him and i had heard the school had gotten softer which in some aspects sure it did but i mean they did all this stuff in private now as far as the restraints and you didn't get to watch it and see it so i mean it was partly like, partly like that when i was there but these kids come out you know you see them after a while black eye broken nose I mean, blood different things they were screwed up pretty bad, you know, hurt pretty bad. So he told me the same stuff was still going on. Same staff members were still jerks. You know, they would do anything they could to get you to look bad to your parents and keep you there even longer. I mean, that was their, that was their end goal. I mean, at, you know, $3,000 a pop a month or more. And you got 150 to, I mean, I think at the point when he went, it was almost 200 students. Wow. You got to think what they're making each month. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, other yeah, food bills big and some things are, but I mean, I, it was nothing to see these guys rolling or, you know, the owners to be rolling out with new stuff, you know? So, but yeah, yeah. I felt bad. And somebody else asked me about it and I told him no way in hell, man, don't. I mean, that place is a cult. My mom had another friend at her work asked, you know, Wanted to talk to me. I told her, "I said, you, you have her talking." I'll flat out tell her, "No, that place is horrendous. It is the worst thing for a developing, you know, teenager trying to come into an adulthood. In the sense right. of immaturity that they create um, and confusion is not worth it. And I honestly believe places like this should be shut down. These reform schools should. They're no good. I mean, the one kid just died not so long ago, you know. So, yeah. no, I would never recommend it to anybody. I would never send my kids there. I wouldn't send my kids any type of school that I couldn't see. 365 and what's
0: going yeah, on you know Right. so definitely I think you brought up a lot of really good stuff and I think for either people who have been in it and are looking for people who've had similar experiences or people who I mean this was me growing up and hearing about it like when you see a presentation you think it's a great thing and I think you some of the stuff you brought up kind of shows the flaws in the system and that it's not it's not a great option for anybody let alone someone who really at the end of the day didn't deserve to be there so uh, again thanks for sharing i'd love to i'd love to have you back on again and and talk through some more i know i know we'll connect again and and chat through this stuff but, uh, but really appreciate you coming on cool no problem anytime
1: thank you for listening to the preacher boys podcast if you appreciated the content on the show Please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com.